We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And as we dive into this, let's pray and ask for God's help. We're going to read later that Paul speaks not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. And so, Father, we pray that we, as a congregation this evening, would respond rightly to those words that are taught from you. Give us hearts, Father, that are able to comprehend, respond, and embrace the words you have for us. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure you're aware that cities have nicknames uh, which help us understand what the people are like. So uh, New York is called the city that never sleeps. Good, we're all awake uh, tonight. Uh, And it speaks of the kind of energy of the place, doesn't it? Uh, Paris is the city of love. Bit of hesitancy there. Yes, because everyone knows Parisians are romantic. Um, I was kicking around in my head what we would describe Basingstoke as, and I thought, it's too dangerous. I haven't been here long enough uh, to uh, get myself in trouble. But if you were to describe Corinth, uh, this city that this first letter is written to, well, you might call it the city of wisdom. Because wisdom was what the people were obsessed in. Uh, in this first century city. Um, We have our stand-up comedians, we have our pop stars, uh, but they had professional people who would come around and speak wisdom. They would go and listen to these people instead of, uh, they would view them instead of um, Saturday night dancing or whatever it is uh, on Saturday, what is it? Strictly come dancing, sorry, I sound so old. it would be strictly come speaking, as people would go and be enamored by people speaking wisdom. And we've seen over the last couple of weeks, haven't we, that actually this is creating real problems for the church. Uh, We saw two weeks ago 
that the church is divided because they're following their favorite preacher or wise person. I follow Paul, one says, because of the way he writes with logic and argument. Another says, I follow Apollos because of the way he moves me with his words. And you might imagine that by the time we get to this passage, which is all about wisdom, Paul is going to say, forget wisdom. Forget trying to learn. Stay foolish. But in this passage today, we see that Paul is very far from anti-wisdom. In fact, in verse 6, he says, we speak a message of wisdom. And in chapter 3 next week, we're going to see that actually Paul criticizes the church for not being very wise, for staying immature, but he wants them to get wisdom right. The wisdom in this passage is not the wisdom of the world. He's going to show them what it is, where true wisdom, uh, what true wisdom is, and where true wisdom comes from. And I'm looking forward to us as St. Mary's looking at this, because I think this is going to help us not to say that we've got the divisions of Corinth, but if we're to stay unified, if we're to grow in maturity, well, actually, we need to understand where true wisdom comes from. And, uh, sorry, let me get that right, what true wisdom is and where true wisdom comes from. What true wisdom is then? Well, in this first section, verses 6 to 9, Paul presents to us two types of wisdom. You might call this section two ways to be wise. And he presents two types of wisdom, one a human wisdom and one a God wisdom. And he draws a thick dividing line between those two types of wisdom. Uh, So look at what he says about human wisdom in verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. So the Christian message isn't just another world philosophy. It isn't just another set of big ideas that everyone is going around speaking about. Paul says, no, those ideas are passing away. See, it's not just our age that loves following people on TikTok or um, the Twitter or things like that to get kind of seven ideas for a healthier life or four ways to be happy or one way uh, to be to, to the secret, one secret for longevity, that sort of thing. Um, is that just me that, that sort of flashes up on my stream? I'm sure it does for you as well. But it wasn't just our age that's obsessed with that. See, the Corinthians, they lapped this up. They were chasing the next big idea. And Paul says that all those ideas, well, they may have their place, but they're coming to nothing. They've got an expiry date. I was thinking about um, how to help understand this, and I I wonder if it's a bit like the stabilizers we used to have on our bike. Maybe it was just me. I think we used to have stabilizers. When you're young, uh, you put stabilizers on, and it, it helps you not fall off the bike and graze your knee, as I did several times. And um, there's nothing wrong with stabilizers particularly, except that they don't really do the job of helping you to ride a bike properly. They don't give you the right balance. They don't teach you how to kind of get the momentum up. And in fact, if I were to take stabilizers now and put them on my road bike, well, actually, it'd be pretty dangerous, wouldn't it? Not only would I look uh, a bit of an idiot, uh, but it would be pretty dangerous uh, to do so. And it's similar here. Paul says, look, This wisdom that you're so obsessed with, it's coming to an end. 
It's not comparable to the wisdom we speak. So Paul says, there is, though, another wisdom, and it comes in verse 7. He says, no, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that's been hidden and God-destined for our glory before time began. See, why chase a wisdom like the bike stabilizers when you have wisdom from God? But there's a problem with this wisdom because look at what he says in verse 7. It's secret. It's been hidden. And in verse 9, he quotes from the book of Isaiah to speak about this wisdom where he says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived. See, here's the big shock. Yes, God's wisdom's out there, but you and me can't naturally understand it. I know this is hard for us to appreciate, isn't it? Because we're all used to understanding things pretty easily. If we don't understand something, we just say, Alexa, and she gives us the answer most of the time. Uh, Us oldies, we used to use something called Google, and uh, before that, I guess you would look it up in a book. And, you know, we're pretty used to finding things out. And if you want to study a subject in detail, well, you can go off to university and um, spend a few years doing a degree or something. But, but here's a wisdom that no uh, smart speaker or computer search engine can get you. See, here's a wisdom from God. Um, I've been reading through the book of Job um, recently, and um, in the book of Job, there's this amazing interlude, I hadn't really kind of grasped it before, where the author speaks about wisdom. And he points out that there are uh, amazing things that human beings are able to do. We're able to search the deepest uh, parts of the earth for precious jewels, for metal. He speaks about the fact that we're able to bring copper and iron out of rocks. I don't know how we do that, but it's an incredible thing, isn't it? But yet, he says this when he gets to wisdom. Where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? No mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. He goes on to say, It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds in the sky. See, true wisdom, God's wisdom, is not a wisdom you can study for, you can work out with your high IQ. God's wisdom is hidden from us. Now, you might think to yourself, how's this helping the Corinthians? I mean, they're obsessed with finding wisdom, and Paul is just saying to them, well, actually, it's there, but you can't see it. But that's not where he stays, because he goes on in our second point to show where this wisdom is found. See, this passage, it turns on verse 10. Um, The whole thing hinges around verse 10, where he says, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. See, this is the incredible thing. He says God's wisdom is there, and it has been revealed by his Spirit. Notice the word revealed. It's not worked out. It's not studied for. It's revealed. We get a reminder, don't we, once a year of what to be something, uh, how things are revealed. Think uh, back to Christmas morning and the the presents under the tree and you you go and have a prod and you go and have a smell, you maybe have a shake and you work out uh, pretty much what it is. But it's only when you open it up that you have it revealed to you, that you know what it is. 
And notice how it's revealed. He says, by his spirit. Not through expertise, not through our cleverness, but by his spirit. And he goes on in this section to show us why it has to be that way. Now, I don't know how you felt when Ellie read this out to us, but maybe you thought, what's going on here? There's lots of talk of spirits and uh, of human wisdom. Um, But the way to understand this, it's not too complicated. The way to understand this is to understand that when Paul uses the word spirit, he's speaking about our inner self. The word spirit means inner self. See, we've got two ways of describing ourselves, haven't we? We can look at the person on the outside, but there's also a person on the inside. So I'm afraid, Rupert, you've just made eye contact with me, so I'm going to pick on you. But you look at Rupert, and um, you may take a look at him, and you could probably guess his age. Let's not do it. That would be unkind. But uh, you'll probably guess his age. Uh, Maybe you'll look at what he's wearing, and you could be able to guess what sort of job he does if he was wearing a lab coat or a uh, military uniform. Um, Maybe you could look at how Rupert's feeling... You could look if he's got bags under the eyes or if he's looking a bit tired. Uh, and maybe you could work out from that pretty much what week he's had. But let's be honest, it's scraping the surface. If you didn't know Rupert, well, there's only so much you could gather from the outside. But of course, for Rupert and for all of us, there's another person going on in the inside. A person with a long history behind them. A person who's thinking things. A person who's had a week. In front of me, there are, well, I don't know, 120 of us, each of us with different experiences. And, you know, you all look very polite, you all look like you're listening, but I don't know what's going on in the inside. The only way I can know that is by you opening your mouth and speaking your inner life. And Paul's point is that we cannot know each other unless you use words to explain yourself. And look at what he says in verse 12. He says, we have not received the spirit of the world, uh, but, um, do I mean verse 12? But yes, I do. But the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. See, how do we know what God is thinking? Well, we can look at his world, we can make all sorts of guesses, but what we really need is for God to speak, for him to reveal to us his spirit. And Paul says that is exactly what has happened, that God has given us his spirit so that we may know God as he truly is. How do we access that spirit? Is it through kind of mystical experience, through uh, whipping ourselves up into some trance? Well, no, Paul says it is the same way as you access anyone's inner world, by words, Verse 13, he says, this is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. See, if that's all confusing, here's the point to come back in, because what Paul is saying here is that you've been chasing this wisdom, Corinthian church, uh, you've been chasing this wisdom in all the wrong places. Everyone's having a best guess. But in the words that Paul speaks, the words about Jesus, where you find the Spirit's voice, God as he truly is. 
See, as you go to Paul's words about Jesus, as you go to the gospel, as you look at the cross, that is where you understand God's true power and his true wisdom. So we might imagine that God would be powerful in the ways we try and imagine power, in flattening his enemies, in uh, lording it over us. But, but actually, as we look at the cross, we see a God that is far different from that. A God who shows his power in humility, in laying down his life. See, we might imagine that we understand what God's love is like. Uh, we kind of have a rough idea of what love's like, but so often it passes for self-serving and self-interest. But it's only as we look at the cross that we see true love, as God lays down his life for others. And it's as we go to the cross that we truly understand ourselves. Now, I know this is really difficult for us to get our heads around because our culture is so used to telling us that we know ourselves just by our instincts. But actually, I don't know about you, I really don't know myself. I really don't know why I react the way I do quite often. And that's okay. Because in the gospel, we can understand ourselves. As we look at the cross, we realize we're not just some random bag of chemicals from a cold universe, but that we've been made by a creator, that we're precious to him, so much so that he's won us back by the blood of his own son. See, this is where true wisdom is found, not on the TikTok, not on following the latest guru, but listening to the words given to us in Scripture, words about Jesus. And this is exactly what the Corinthian church hadn't got, and it's led to all sorts of boasting and division. And notice what he says at the end of verse 12 about this wisdom. He says that we may understand what God has freely given us. See, this is the sort of wisdom that is given, received, not achieved. See, he says that actually it's not about who's intelligent, who's wise, who's got a high IQ. Rather, it's the one who hears and listens. So there's no room for elitism, is there? No room for boasting in a church. Because actually, all of us have to receive God's words to us. So Paul, far from being anti-wisdom wants us to pursue it. He wants us to learn. He wants us to grow. He wants us to understand, but not make the mistake of the world around us, of chasing things, of boasting in our ability to work God out. See, true wisdom is found in God himself. And that true wisdom is not found by degrees or IQ scores. It is found by listening to the words of his Spirit found in this word in front of us. All of us have the wonderful access to who, know who God is through his word. Now, what does this mean for us as we come to a close? Well, here's three things, very short things for us to take away, to discuss, to chew over uh, a bit later. Uh, first of all, realize what we have. Realize what we have. The Corinthians, of course, were chasing the celebrities and um, because they thought that's where true wisdom is found. But it seems so ridiculous, doesn't it? When you think, actually, what have they got in front of them? They have got God's mind. They know what he thinks, what he says. 
And the same is true for us. In fact, we're in a more privileged position because we've not only got Paul's words, we've got all the disciples' words, and we've got all of God's words over all time. This isn't just a dusty, dry history book. This is a living word. This is God speaking to us. And I don't know about you, but I pick my Bible up in the morning. I normally need a coffee injection to get me going. I feel a bit sleepy, and I don't always appreciate what it is I'm doing. Actually, I'm hearing words from my maker, the one who knows me, the one who knows the future, the one who loves me. Realize what we have. Secondly, expect to feel foolish for having it. And notice what he says in verse 14, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. See, the the one who doesn't listen, he says, actually, these things are going to seem ridiculous. Uh, In fact, the word, I love this, in the word for foolishness, a little cool Greek fact for you, uh, it's the word moron in Greek. Would you believe it? Um, That's how they seem. Because actually, God subverts his way, our, our, our perceptions of power. He subverts our perceptions of wisdom. And he shows his power, he shows his wisdom through the cross. And as Woody said to us last week, we're going to feel very foolish, I'm sure, at times sharing this message, but let's not forget that it is the power of God, it is the wisdom of God, it is his Spirit's words. And I know there are stories after stories of people just sharing this very simple gospel, one that seems very weak in itself, and God, by his Spirit, taking those words and bringing conviction and life to people. Expect to feel foolish. And finally, pursue it with humility. Uh, In that, as I quoted verse 9, he says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. See, the thing that counts for Isaiah is not your IQ score, it's not your ability to work God out, it's to love him. And in the book of Isaiah, you see that what it means to love God is to listen to his words. He says this a bit later on, um, that those who love him are those who are humble and contrite in spirit, who tremble at his word. And of course, if God has spoken, and if God has given us his words, well, that is the right response, isn't it? All of us with humility to say, I need you. I need you to give me understanding. And it really helps us as a church, I think, because there will be some of us who are highly intelligent. I know there are PhDs uh, floating around the congregation. I know there are very capable people in their fields, people who explain to me what they do, and I haven't got a clue Uh, but I know they're very impressive type of people. And uh, probably you don't know who they are, which is a great indication, I think, that uh, actually of their humility. But there'll be others of us who perhaps feel to ourselves, perhaps we haven't got a GCSE to our name, and we feel very sensitive around our uh, inability uh, to achieve very much on um, exams and things like that. But that doesn't matter, does it? Because actually what counts is humility. I've seen many uneducated people be far wiser than the most educated because they hear God's voice, they listen to his word, and they believe it. So there are three things to kick around with us. Realize what we have, expect to feel foolish, 
and pursue it with humility. Well, let's pray there, and then Steve will tell us what's following, and then we'll take some Q&A. But God has revealed his wisdom to us by his Spirit. And so we pray, our Heavenly Father, that you would help us to grasp the gravity of you speaking to us. Help us, Father, to not be like the Corinthians, to pursue uh, wisdom of this age, but help us, Father, to listen, as Isaiah tells us, with a humble and contrite spirit. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, thank you for your questions. Um, uh, and we'll, Rob will jump straight in, if you don't mind. So, uh, in verses 12 and 13 of, our, of the passage you, you looked at this evening, we have, you talk about the role of the written word, but in verse 14 16, the work of the Spirit within us, how do those work together? Yeah, so it's a bit of, um, forgive me if I misunderstood your question, but this is what I think might be helpful. There's a bit of a kind of chain reaction here. So um, God's uh, mind is revealed to Paul and the apostles uh, by the Spirit, and as they speak that message, you'll remember, as the early church did, people are convicted by that message and believe by that same Spirit. And what Paul's saying is that actually uh, the words we've given to you um, are those words from the Spirit. Now, um, What that then means is that those of us with the Spirit hear those words and believe them. And those words are written down uh, for us in the New Testament. So it's not that um, there are two ways to receive the Spirit. It's not like Paul saying, uh, we've got our way, the written word, and there's another way. He's saying that actually a sign of the fact you have the Spirit is that you hear these words and you believe them. Um, I think we probably know what that's like experientially, that actually as you speak these words, you probably feel very foolish doing it, but actually you just see the lights go on in people. Um, I know for me there was no explanation for why I believe this, except that over time God's Spirit changed me to believe them. So maybe there's some of us that worry, have I got God's Spirit? Am I responding rightly? Well, the sign that we have got God's Spirit is that when we hear God's Word, uh, we accept his words on face value and believe them. Um, I may be going off in a complete different direction, but that's some thoughts. That's, well, it's really helpful. If, <laughs> if that was your question, though, and it's not, Rob's answer hasn't scratched your itch, then please do grab him afterwards. But that was helpful, Rob. Thank you. Um, let's step on. Uh, the passage that we looked at ends, verse 16. You didn't make any reference to the second final bit of it. Um, where does that fit in? Is it just the way that it's quoted that it ends up looking like it's hanging on its own, or, or how does it cohere? Yeah, how does it fit in? Um, so when he says we have the mind of Christ, he's saying that we have access to God's inner self. Okay, so he uses words like mind and spirit uh, interchangeably. So it's not that we think uh, automatically like Christ or anything like that, but actually, amazingly, we know what Christ thinks because we've got his word. And um, yeah, that's incredible. I mean, I could have done another sermon just on that. And if you're happy to stick around, I'm quite happy to do that. Uh, but that's what that means. Um, the, the quote that comes before that's from Isaiah. And it's a quote that basically just confesses our humility. Who can understand God? That song 
that second song I think we sang, spoke about his inexhaustible wisdom that we just can't understand. And yet, by his grace, through his spirit, we actually can know what God thinks. Uh, we, as Paul puts it, we have the mind of Christ. Final question then. Thank you for that. Um, is the feeling of foolishness when we encounter non-Christians and what might it, could might it look like to live in a worldly-wise way in a church setting, how can we, and the final bit of the question, how, how can, how does spiritual wisdom correct it? So how do we chase after things when we feel, when we're doing that? Yeah, I think there's about three or four questions there, um, but I'll, I'll have well, a stab at... let's try and take some of them off. I'll have a stab at a couple of them. Is it only foolishness when we encounter non-Christians? No. Uh, I think Paul's speaking um, to Christians who feel that sense of foolishness. Let's, um, I don't keep saying this, but it's apparent foolishness. It is not foolish. It's the wisdom of God. It's the power of God. Uh, but it feels that way. Um, yes, it does when we tell others about Jesus. Uh, it doesn't seem very impressive, does it, to say we worship a crucified Messiah. It doesn't seem very impressive when we say actually we're just ordinary folk who love Jesus. I don't know about you. I find that very difficult sometimes. Uh, but also, um, there are moments where I think I'm, I'm staking my whole life on this claim that this person who seems so weak uh, actually is my creator and is the God who has redeemed me. And, and that will feel like that from time to time. So, no, it's not just foolishness uh, with the world. It can feel foolish internally. Uh, can we be worldly wise in a church setting? Absolutely. This is what Corinthians is warning us about. Um, they seem to have got the fact that this is quite impressive stuff, and they then kind of morph that into their kind of obsession with worldly wisdom. So, um, yeah, absolutely, it's a danger. How do we do that? I guess um, it's very easy, isn't it, to, to know the Bible and to use it in a way that's proud, uh, to think, I know more than you, or to quote Bible verses like... Um, you know, we've probably just read them on the way in, but we're you know, very good at showing off. I, I, you know, I'm confessing too much here. But, <laughs> but you know, uh, it is very easy, isn't it, to use fancy words, to use theological things, not because you're serving others with it, but because you're making yourself look impressive, and that's what the Corinthians are doing. And, you know, I must say, I generally think... I'm not trying to hit us over the head and say we're exactly like the Corinthians, uh, but I know there's things I need to hear as a warning not to slip into that. So humility listening and prayerful dependence on God.